The Secrets of Middle-Earth is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Middle-Earth. Hi, everyone. You're listening to The Secrets of Middle-Earth, where we discuss the hidden themes and deeper layers found in the works of J.R.R. Tolkien whether in his writings or in any of the media derived from them. Today, we're discussing The Rings of Power, Episode 5, called Partings. I'm Thomas Enherho, and joining me today are Thomas Salerno. Hey, Thomas. Hey, everybody. And Jeff Hecker. Hi, Jeff. Hey, Thomas. And Caitlin Fischista. Hi. Hi, how's it going? It's going all right. It's good to have you guys. I'm super excited to talk about this episode. <laughs> I've got some crazy wild theories to throw at you, so... We'll see. <laughs> we will get into it. Uh, be sure to follow the show uh, on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or any podcast directory or app that you use. And find us on social media at facebook.com slash starquestmedia. You can find us on Twitter also, where we're at SQPN, or on Instagram, where we're at Starquest Network. And definitely share the show with somebody who likes Tolkien, who's watching the show, who you have brought up the names on the show with and you just you like you are geeking out about it and you want them to listen share it that's how we get uh that's really how we get the spread of the the podcast best um we have had some great uh feedback from you guys too and i really appreciate that everybody's kind of like jumping in on this one uh this is even even when i was doing the secrets of star wars we didn't get this much feedback. So like the, the fact that we're like getting like two or three people talking to us every episode, that's super awesome. So uh, I, I, we're either doing something really right or something really wrong. I don't know. <laughs> you take your pick. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we did get two, two pieces of feedback this time. Um, Tammy LML uh, says on, on YouTube, I believe it was, uh, I really just wanted to say that I'm loving the podcast. Every time I listen, it makes me want to go back and rewatch the episodes for all the things I missed the first time. A couple of things I'm thinking. I keep wondering if the Tower of Osterith is the tower where the orcs took Frodo after Shilob wrapped him up. So it's an interesting Ooh. thought. Yeah. And so she says she needs to reread the books, but she thought that the tower had been, been built there by the elves to keep an eye on Mordor. And uh, I think like all of us, she's kind of getting the, the sequence of things mixed up because we don't really know how it all falls together. So, you know, maybe there's some some questions there. And then she also says, I hate to say this, but and I hope I'm wrong, but I'm leaning more towards Halbrand being Sauron. For the first couple of episodes, she wondered uh, if he could be related to the future Rohirrim. But two things struck her in this last episode. He's definitely shown a mercenary side, not only in the fight with the guildsmen, but also in his original situation on the wrecked ship. He was quite quick to abandon the people he was with. And the other trait he's showing is charm. He knows how to ingratiate himself with the queen in court. And that's something that Sauron was really good at. He's been subtly manipulating the people around him, including Galadriel. And he doesn't want to leave Numenor. And while it seems to be an obviously nicer way of life than what the middle uh, with middle middle earth have it would also place him at the side of farazon potentially if the queen regent sails off with galadriel so she's gonna she says that i'm gonna hurry back hurry and read some more of the books thanks for again for a great episode what do you guys what do you guys think i i don't know i'm i am i am not on the fence about halbrand anymore i'm pretty sure he's not sauron yeah, yeah I, I, would, think, yeah. I, I think i agree um i think this episode especially kind of shows that because you see him not really acting he's when he's alone he's still acting like Halbrand if he was mm -hmm. 
if they never showed him alone, I could definitely still see him in the running, but I think we see him on his own kind of in the room by himself and he's not getting, you know, must twirling his mustache or anything. He's <laughs> looking like he's, uh, you know, thinking hard about what, what he was, what the, what the issue was in that scene. So at least for me, I think that's just, that's some evidence. And I think it's, we can get more into it, but I think he's definitely someone else that is a famous, uh, king in the uh in the tolkien lore so all right yeah he's definitely king of somewhere but i i don't think he's sauron yeah i I would tend to agree i think especially this how this episode ends i think kind of convinced me that like okay that earlier stuff was more of like red herrings to to Mm -hmm. throw us off the scent I, i and i think we've said this on previous episodes that a lot of us aren't sure if we've even really seen Sauron yet. Right. I think even this episode, I think we still have not seen Sauron. I'm, I agree. I'm, I think it might be one of those, like the very final episode of the season he's revealed and maybe not even like shown, but just, Oh yeah. He's been there the whole time. <laughs> I think so. And they're going to need some kind of a hook to get us hyped for season two. And I mean, what better hook than a Sauron reveal? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I'm, that's that's where my my money's going. But I really like the idea of Ostirith being the tower that the orcs took Frodo after Shelob wrapped him up. That's a that's a good thought. Yeah, I actually saw on the X-ray, like the trivia section on Amazon Prime uh, about that tower because I thought it had been built by the elves, but it was actually built by the men uh, who had sworn allegiance to Morgoth like way back in the day, mm. and then the elves took it over after that. Is what it said on on Amazon Prime. Oh, that's yeah. Cool. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sure we'll get into this later, but this episode kind of ends with the implication that this tower might end up being destroyed in the next couple episodes, either by the orcs or by the people there themselves, because they seem to be getting some ideas of how they can get some environmental kills using this tower. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's positioned perfectly for that kind of thing, you know, <laughs> top of a we'll large see. hill. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so we have one more piece of feedback. Um, Paul Leon on uh, YouTube also writes, uh, I read a theory that Halbrand is the heir to the throne of the people who become the Oathbreakers of the White Mountains. I think that fits well with your ideas about him not quite achieving redemption. He's one of my favorite characters at the moment, at any rate. It doesn't perhaps fit with Adar being familiar with Balerion, but I think it'd be interesting if he was one of the Avari, bitter about the Eldar abandoning his people and thus falling in with Morgoth and then possibly Sauron. As far as the Palantir goes, he wonders if Anarian was on the other end. Uh, he also puts forth the idea that Ostirith means fortress of guard, Ost plus Tirith. Uh, so he's and he's, li- he's liking the episode still of the podcast and can't wait for another one. Awesome. So, yeah, those are good. I like I, I think I'm kind of leaning that way with. Um, with Adar as well, of him being one of the Avari who fell in with Morgoth because there were a few that did that early on. And so, you know, it would make sense but they, and they were never turned to the orcs. It doesn't seem, it seems like that was a separate group that was maybe tortured and torn, turned into orcs. All right. So that is where we're at now, before we get into talking about the show itself, I wanted to talk about the intro because I've been meaning to do this <laughs> both times we've uh, had our episode since. And, um, th- 
I'm going to I'm going to throw it out to you guys. I want to ask your opinions of the intro. So we're talking about the music scene before any of the stuff starts where, you know, there's some action and there's like the uh, there's that music scene with all of the like kernels of uh, chaff kind of moving around or, or dirt. You're not not really sure exactly what it is, but they're all moving around in sync with the, the musical waves. How do you guys feel about the intro that they have on the show? Eh, it's OK. I kind of wish they had gone with that that initial teaser where it was the melting metal that ends up creating the Lord of the Rings logo. Like, I wish that was the intro to the show instead of this thing with the little kernels of sand. It just, it's too abstract for me to get, you know, too excited about. Yeah. I feel like that intro with the forging was at least a hundred times cooler than the (laughs) current one. And so for them to introduce like when they dropped that, that was when I started getting really excited about the show because it was all done with practical effects and it was just so cool. And for them to n- never use it again, like what was the point of that? <laughs> right. Why? Yeah. And and then I like this one is cool because I, I heard that it was kind of supposed to be influenced by the music of the Ainur, um, or something like that. And I was like, OK, well, maybe I like it a little bit more after hearing about the intention behind it but just as it stands on its own I was really underwhelmed and it kind of followed the pattern of a lot of tv shows where the intro is just a bunch of little abstract things happening um over some kind of boring music uh yeah so. <laughs> they, they did that with wheel of time yeah. too right yeah mm-hmm. yeah wheel of time was just like stuff being woven wasn't it um, right yeah so I was just I like see, I really like that one too I, okay. I like this one and I like I like the Wheel of Time one because it's all about the pattern of creation. That's the whole concept of the Wheel of Time is about the weaving of the pattern. That was like that's kind of the background of the of the books. And so I like the way they, they fit that together. And I like this one for a similar reason. So, well, I'm glad Jeff, you, you like you? it. I'm, that makes yeah. me very happy to know <laughs> well, that someone maybe, likes maybe, it. Maybe maybe I'll help you guys like reframe it and it'll it'll help like it'll help you like it. I'm not I'm not a huge fan of the music, to be honest, but. I do really like what they've done with the with the creative aspect of it. I kind of like the music. It's also a Howard Shore, I think, who did the music Mm -hmm. for the original trilogy. So I just feel like they were if if the Game of Thrones is kind of their like primary competition and the Game of Thrones soundtrack is so catchy. um, This one, it just doesn't. It it feels like they weren't trying that hard to me. Like I I really like it in its own special way, but it's just not like it's not the kind of thing that gets you really like amped up and hyped up for the show, or that you get kind of stuck in your head. Um, but I I also really appreciate it that you guys like it too because <laughs> it makes me feel better that you know it's some some of these things are just not for me and that's okay. Yeah, yeah, I think that's I think that's kind of the way. I, not everything's going to work for everybody, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I really like it for two reasons. Um, one, it's kind of that cool. I don't know if they did it with practical effects. It doesn't look like the more I'm debating a lot because knowing what I know about computer graphics, it's very hard to do this in computer graphics and make it look decent. And so I'm wondering if they took one of those plates and just played sound waves into it and had the sound waves move into certain things, um, which then leads me to the other reason that I have really it's grown on me a lot and I've really enjoyed watching it the more I've seen it because it's like the song of creation in the Tolkien Legendarium and I'm going to butcher this word because 
I've read it only and never actually heard it spoken. The Ainulinde. Is that how? I don't know. Do you guys know how to say it? The Ainulinde. The Ainulinde. That's how we're going to. I've never actually heard it spoken. So there you go. Oh. <laughs> um, so it's this, the song of creation is being presented here and if you listen to the music and the way the music plays everything's going really well it's all very harmonious it's all very nice but as soon as the orchestration moves into the to the words that's when you get that trail of black moving in through the stuff that exists and so that's like morgoth trying to play his own tune and the discord and the discord that gets built into it but then it all builds back together at the end into something that's still beautiful so it it's very much like the song of creation kind of playing all together into this uh, into this neat moment. And I really for, for me, that's what the more I've been watching it, the more I've been kind of replaying that in my head and thinking about it that way. So, yeah, it's grown on me. Yeah. <laughs> once I once I read about that, I was like, OK, yeah, I mean, I I accept it. I like it. It's cool. But I just feel like the other one was just so much cooler in my mind. So it was it was yeah. hard to come from. I'm not going to argue with that. That was from the, like molten metal being poured, you know, into like little bits of sand moving around. Um, but they're both really special in their own way. Yeah. Well, and, and I think, you know, when Game of Thrones is your competition, that intro was so iconic. Just, the, you know, the the building of the of the empire kind of in front of you unfolding was really, it was a very neat intro. So Mm -hmm. yeah, well, we'll see. And maybe they'll change it. Maybe it'll be one of those things that we get a new one each, uh, each season as they go along. That could be kind of cool too. Alrighty. So let's dive in. Uh, we open this week with the, uh, the Harfoots again. So we have Nori and, um, meteor man talking and it's kind of fun. I love him saying, uh, trying to say the great migration mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, said so yeah that's and and the way that she's teaching him to speak i think is really neat because she's kind of teaching him how to be as well as how to speak you know so he he recognizes that he is peril but then she says no no, no you're you're good because you're trying to help and so she's kind of retraining what the way he thinks about things um and then we get the beautiful song from poppy as they're leaving that first scene where where poppy starts singing the uh the traveling song that starts off very uh world expanding and then it also builds into that one line that i think is it should stick with everybody if they've watched any lord of the rings which is not all who wander who wonder or wander are lost and i love that that's kind of tied into this whole thing i also thought it was cute that that was her mom's walking song um, mm-hmm. Someone mentioned it. They're like, why don't you sing your mom's walking song? And, you know, we all know she doesn't have her mom with her anymore. So I think that added a, a layer of sweetness to it. Yeah, I thought it was a neat montage. I liked, you know, how it just showed them going through all kinds of different environments. And what I'm pretty sure what it will eventually become the Dead Marshes. They mm-hmm. were called the Gray mm-hmm. Marshes on the map. But I'm like, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I'm yeah, I'm sure those eventually become that. And it, it and it. We we see them going farther and farther south. So I think that's how the Harfoot story is going to eventually intersect with the Southland stuff, because it looks like they're heading in that general direction. That's going to be very bad for them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, with this one, with their migrant, with their migration, I was wondering if this is kind of evidence that there's different timelines going on, because 
it mm. seems like yeah. there's some changing of the seasons a little bit and there's they're going pretty far on foot and pushing these carts and it seems like the other parts of the story are progressing faster so i think i said it a, a one or two episodes ago that you know there might be some shifting timelines so um and i do have some speculation about that as we get into it but um it's uh, so i wonder if that's just a, more evidence of that and then we'll you know maybe we'll it'll all meet together by the end of the season um just because you know sailing to middle earth could take a could take a little bit of time i don't uh, i don't know the mileage of the numenor to middle earth offhand but um so maybe that's how they'll kind of catch it all up together so yeah i i have a lot of theories about that and i'm going to save them for later when they become a little more relevant but yes i i agree this this seems to indicate that there is a different timeline to this particular uh piece of the story at the very least than the other pieces that we have so yeah i agree (laughs) and then we get the interesting aside of these new figures that are introduced um three white cloaked figures that show up uh at the meteor man's uh fall site and we know nothing about these figures no go ahead yeah did you did you get their names because i know the i know there's the ones called the dweller yeah, it's and, the dweller. Um, so it's it's the nomad, the ascetic, and the dweller. Mm-hmm. And the dweller was the one that was like had a shaved head and was leaning down into the into the pit and was kind of looking up and further, you know, up and with the, kind of an angry look. So that was the dweller. That's our. And slim the other shady. two, I'd have to see. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'd have to see I the, the picture side ball. by side. <laughs> yes. Yes, there needs to be a definite Eminem reference there right. somewhere. She's the one that he, he or she, I, I'm, it's hard to say, uh, is the one. Yeah, the one who looks like Eminem. Uh, I like how those names, they really remind me of like Skeksis names from the Dark Crystal, mm-hmm. where they're just like, you know, very simple and it describes a character trait. You know, the Nomad, The uh, I forget the other two. But yeah, it's like I, I caught that right away. I'm like, like oh, they're like humanoid skexis maybe <laughs> yeah they have these weird artifacts they're carrying with them like the like the the ascetic is carrying this thing that you would think is a shield but is not carrying it like a shield at all mm-hmm. it's just this big circular moon sort of looking thing tray maybe yeah I don't know. It's, it's so weird. weird. It's like it's just yeah. bizarre. Like, and it comes out of nowhere. Where it's it's like, okay, um, we just got done with this adorable scene with Nori and the Meteor Man, and then we immediately move over to this really bizarre scene with Adar uh, and the Orc, and it just kind of fell right in the middle of those things. And it's like, okay, so now we've got this whole other plot line that we're going to be paying <laughs> attention to as well. As if we don't have enough characters already. I know. <laughs> right, yeah. We we don't. See, they're not killing them off as fast as uh, George, Martin, George Martin does in his books, though. So, you know, we, we're just going to have, we're going to end up with, you know, 40 characters to juggle and they're, they're not going to murder oh, yeah. them the way in, in that In that Thrones case, did. it will be more like Wheel of Time, where there's a million characters. <laughs> and which one oh, of them man. is Sauron? All of still wondering still wondering still don't know i worry about this i was just thinking about it about like everything's going so well right now uh nobody's died yet you know nobody really too important and then it i of course remembered how everything is going to end and like man i feel like the heartbreak 
of losing these characters after they're going mm. to be around for some time is going to be even worse than like with with Game of Thrones where everyone dies off pretty quickly. Um, this is I feel like it's going to be so much more drawn out and just devastating when it does happen. Or when they don't die and they just make the wrong choice, you know, like that's going <laughs> right. to be uh, make the wrong uh, choice and then they live forever <laughs> as a Nazgul. Yeah. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> or or under the mountain. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's even worse, <laughs> yep. maybe. Uh <laughs> yep. So that's I I don't know. It's it's hard. And like especially the characters that I like, because the, the dwarves by far and away are my favorite part of the show. Durin is just a riot. I loved that whole scene with the with the uh, with the table uh, we'll we'll get to it but that's probably my favorite scene from the whole series so far (laughs) absolutely great but it's like it's like revenge of the sith you know what's coming Uh you know and you know it's gonna be bad and the people are gonna die and you're just like you're just mm, bracing yourself for this i I don't know if i really want to like them but i do yeah right like, I can only attach myself to Elrond and Galadriel. I know they're going to be okay. Because they make it. <laughs> they make it. I know they're, they're in the Lord of the Rings. They're going to make it. <laughs> so we get this weird scene with Adar and the orc where Adar is kind of like standing in the sun. And uh, he, he, one of his orc captains comes up to him and he pulls him out and tell, tells him to pull, hold out his arm. And the orc just does it like. And the orc's skin starts like crackling and burning, and there were there were like great sounds. Just really, I'm if you can see the expression on my face, the word "great" and the expression on my face do not go together <laughs> for <laughs> what was happening to that orc's arm. <laughs> but I I don't know. I mean, this scene was interesting because I think it really shows the difference between what how the elves view themselves and and what this character thinks of the orcs because. He seems to have compassion for them in a bizarre sort of way. And um, but then also the plan is to get rid of the sun so that they can have their own place, you know, their their own place to live. So it's really interesting to like kind of see the dichotomy of what he's going through with all of this. And it's kind of like a loss for him, too, because he's thinking about how much he's going to miss the feel of the sunshine. Mm hmm. Um, And it's almost like he's making this sacrifice for the orcs who he seems to love with this kind of weird fatherly affection. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I think it'll be. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Mm -hmm. So we go back over to Osteris and we have Bronwyn uh, give her speech to try and rally the the last of the Southlanders together. Uh, She does a good job. Like, it's a pretty it's a solid speech. You know, she doesn't have much to offer them, (laughs) but. (laughs) <laughs> she, it's it feels like everybody's on board and then waldrick steps for it and um and says you know i don't care what you can say for our ancestors but they lived and, and i was like lived as slaves i guess i mean if you mm-hmm. call that living i suppose i mean i was just like okay waldrick whatever <laughs> And like Waldrick is already a super old man. So like how much longer is he really going to live? And like when you're getting towards the end of your life, like, are you sure you want to like, I feel like when you're younger, you're maybe more willing to make a trade for your life because you have so much more ahead of you. But like, he's like at the end of it and he's still willing to, you know, he's got like 10 years maximum. I don't know. Like 
it just seems it seems wild to me. Like I I can't imagine being like, yes, I need these last couple years of my life and I'm willing to do anything for it. Like it's just crazy. Unless he thinks Sauron can give him extended life somehow. Yeah. I was yeah, I was just about to say I wonder if that's what like he thinks you know, he's chasing some, you know, extending his life, like you said. So um, he's like he's taking on Oswald the role maybe. of the Numenorean. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, they I mean, they've kind of like they've bought into these legends. Right. And so mm-hmm. apparently there's some sort of religious cult aspect to uh, the way that he thinks about Sauron and the reason that he held on to that sword. And now that we find we find out a little bit more about it finally in in the coming scenes. Yeah, I wonder if when he says our ancestors, they lived like I wonder if he's meaning like maybe they did kind of receive some kind of extended life. Yeah, I don't know. I I don't know. Does Sauron have the ability to offer or did Morgoth possibly have the ability to offer something similar to what the Numenorians received from the the Valar? It would make sense. Well, when Sauron gives that, you know, when he creates the Nazgul, I mean, their life is extended. So I could see. You know, as he's kind of tinkering around with his magic, he could probably have come up with something, you know, similar. Or maybe Waldrick thinks the sword is kind of the key to his extending his life. Um, Right. Although he didn't try to take it from Theo, but it's still the sword is still in play. So, yeah, for sure. So uh, next we move to the story from Numenor where Isildur is not chosen for the expedition and he's upset with about, about it and he goes and has an argument with his father and I love the discussion between them here. I feel like it's really like, you know, that the, the difference between lip service and true service where not always is, well, I want to do something great for this cause that I believe in, but actually just doing the day to day work that is required in and that that's true service and that one is worth more than the other because without the without the little things the big things never have a chance to get done because nobody's actually bothering to do the little things yeah that was just a great scene like uh and i i I just love alendil in this show he's great Mm -hmm. you know he's 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 exactly pretty much what i imagined alendil to be like you know he's noble courageous he's He's a, a decent man, a decent father to his kids. And I'm just like, yeah, I, I could see this being a guy who thousands of years later, his name is still used as a battle cry by his descendants. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I like that idea, too, that you mentioned before about kind of the the difference between trying to do one great heroic deed and, and many small kind of day to day um acts because i feel like that's so catholic and it's just like the path to holiness doesn't usually require like there's usually it's just like your day-to-day small acts and that's also very tolkien that that brings you Mm -hmm. towards your goal and um it's the small things that lead to what you really need to be getting towards yeah that we can we can do no great things but only small things with great love right yeah right exactly saint Therese quote so i and you know i i love that i love that philosophy and i I love that philosophy just in day-to-day life too that's one of the things that i try and tell my kids it's like you know it doesn't matter what you do just do it well You, you pay attention to what you're doing stay focused on it do it well and if you do it well in the small things you're going to make a big impact and then this is the one. So this is the point at which we get to the, the talking about 
the the split of time and this is where i where i noticed it and i felt like it was really interesting we get this map scene with halbrand and it's this very short thing where he walks in and he starts talking to um to the queen and Ferazon and uh and galadriel are all there and sh- the queen is asking him where do they move next and he points out that they moved to Ostirith at that point. And that struck me because, like, is he able to predict what's happening? How does he know what's going on? Unless the story that we're getting with Arendir and the Ostirith group and Bronwyn and that whole group is an older story that happened when Halbrand was a child. And that's how that's going to fall out is that because he talks about, he talks to Gladriel about uh, fighting with the orcs and how he, you know, she doesn't know the things he had to do to survive. And, you know, that it's not very long ago that my people were fighting alongside the orcs, which to him, this would have been thousands, a a thousand years ago. Right. If, if it was the first age that he's talking about, it would have been a thousand years ago. So I feel like there's something going on here that we're going to get some more information about. But I don't know. This that's my theory is that the story of Arendir and the Ostirith group is actually from Halbrand's childhood. And we're going to find mm. out that he's in that group and has grown up and now is where he is. Yeah. And one of my friends, she was saying she thinks she was speculating that maybe the Theo's friend, I don't have the name. Maybe that's Halbrand. Rowan. Mm-hmm. Rowan. There you yeah. Go. So that could be his could be um, Halbrand as a child. but. I don't know if that I don't know if it quite adds up because at least we haven't seen Rowan being the king or the the son of a leader or anything, unless there's something that we see where his father gets crowned as a king. And then, um, you know, to extend that, maybe Halberin, like maybe he his dad is being evil, uh, be following the orcs and Adar and he kills him and he has to run away from his own kind of the the ones who swore to the to the to Adar. And he's fleeing from them. And that's when we we see him uh, run into him in the ocean. I thought I remember from either the first or second episode, it was it was the first appearance of uh, Arondir where the elves in the tower mentioned they're being pulled out because the war's over. And so I thought that lined up with like Galadriel and the others being sent back to Valinor because like Gilgalad gives a speech and he's like the last vestiges of the war are over so like well i i think there 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 is some timey wimey stuff going on i don't know if it's decades or centuries though i think it I might yeah i think it might be weeks or months that are being compressed and moved about here i personally don't feel like the audience could handle like like i feel like we are already so confused about the timeline (laughs) that if they were to try and pull some kind of like actually these are alternate timelines i just don't think we could handle it and i don't feel like it would go over very well um there's also the part when hallbrand is talking about um they went to austereth and he says something like i should i I forget what exactly he said but he's like you know they went south to austereth i i should reckon or i i suppose or something and that made me think did he give them the orders to go that way? It almost, mm. or was he there when they received their orders to go that way? I kind of think that the way that they lined up him kind of reminiscing about what he did. Um, 
I am I'm guessing that he had to do something similar to what Waldrick did and that maybe he killed his father who had the the oh. little necklace um mm. in in order to make a blood oath. That's kind of what I'm guessing. Um but I think he definitely killed somebody. I just don't know who. I mean as we keep saying, he said he took it off a dead man. Mm-hmm. So, you know, mm-hmm. he, he a person he may have killed. Oh yeah, that's where that's where I'm going with it. Yeah, and at some point he learned how to block. He learned how to smith. So, at some mm-hmm. point, presumably before he was, you know, on the water, he was because it. I, I'm not a blacksmith, but I'm assuming it takes a, a number of years before you can, you know, especially to to forge a Numenor who are noted craftsmen to to impress someone there. So he had to have yeah. some period of his life where he was practicing you know that kind of a craft so you know there's definitely we need more of his story and um you know i I don't know that we'll get much of it as much of it this season leading uh leading up to the finale because since we only have three left but hopefully in the future we'll kind of get some more of his um backstory you know an episode of him smithing or you know being taken in by a by some smith in the in the wilderness or something like that and um before he um, goes along his way. He was also very him. good when he flipped, like when there was that sword on the ground and he like kicked it mm-hmm. and flipped it into the air. Like, I feel like that it was kind of trying to lead us towards the idea that he's been trained in swordsmanship, which mm-hmm. is something that like maybe a prince or some kind of royalty or at least someone of high stature would have been trained in. Yeah. So I, I feel like there's a lot there to him. And I feel like we might, I, I would love to see him be maybe he, with his father. They were captives of elves to keep them from rallying the um, rallying the Southlanders back to, you know, their regal banner. And then they from there are captured by orcs and have to, you know, so there there's a lot of room to make some really interesting storylines for him there. That would make him also more of like the anti-Aragorn that they're kind of trying to set him up as or like a, mm-hmm. a parallel because like if you were to imagine him kind of raised by elves in a similar way that Aragorn is uh that would be really interesting. Yeah. And that would that would give him the craftsmanship and things like that. So it could be, you know, it could be really I don't know. We'll see. We'll see where that that ends up going. But yeah, I'm like I'm like you, Jeff. I want more of his backstory. And then like, there's only three episodes left. We need to get something done here. But at the same time, stop, linger a little bit, please. Yeah, I think we need a whole episode that's just called Halbrand, and right. it's just him right. for the whole, the whole time, whole hour and ten minutes. Oh man, yep. <laughs> so we go back to the Harfoots, and um, they are attacked by wolves. Now, if it, anyone is unfamiliar, yeah, I know, right? If, if any wolf, and, and, and this, is, uh, this is where we need to qualify some stuff, right? So when we go, when we're talking about Tolkien, uh, there are some terms that will come up, and I imagine that they're going to come up more frequently as we get into some more things. Tolkien used the term werewolf, uh, warg, and wolf all a little bit interchangeably. The werewolves specifically were not werewolves the way we think of them. Uh, like with the like shape shifting idea of like being able to move from human to being a wolf and back. Uh, so a werewolf was just a wolf that could talk or like a wolf that had man speech or or the ability to communicate. 
So if you think more like an intelligent wolf, basically, that was what a werewolf was. Then the wargs were like wolves on steroids, like the kind of like a, a wolf hyena, but bigger and nastier and, and meaner. And then these things, I guess, are are what they're calling wolves. But like, you know, they're just big, mean wolves. So I don't know. Where do you guys feel like these things fit into that whole like, spectrum of what it could be in Tolkien lore? I heard a theory that they're werewolves and is specifically this theory had to do with the 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 three mysterious women, because as, as this one, there were three of them and they're sort of tracking the Harfoots because they saw the Harfoot footprints next to Meteor Man's crater. And then all of a sudden, these three wolves show up. And so maybe there's a, oh, maybe maybe these three mysterious women are werewolves and can shapeshift mm. into wolves. But that it, it sounds kind of far fetched to me. But who, who knows at this point? <laughs> yeah, well, we did see the wolf in the first episode when we first saw the Harfoots. So That's true. we saw at, at least one of them. I'm, I'm assuming it, they're part of the same group and. Um, so I don't know that they were necessarily, maybe they, they were following similar signs that the Harfoots are. That definitely could be, and it somehow led them to where Meteor Man crashes. Um, but then it seems like the, the, if they're, if they're the same, it seems they must have, you know, they're, they have Game of Thrones style teleportation where they can get really far, <laughs> really fast because hey, they went from where so, though, Meteor Man like when was you first to, introduced to him. Yeah, when you first introduce them, they're all up on the cliff, and the next thing you know, the dweller is down at the bottom of the cliff. And <laughs> right, it's like yeah. an immediate yeah. transition. So maybe they do. <laughs> I like the werewolf yeah, theory, so. even if it's maybe not the most plausible. I think it's the most fun. Yeah. And I would love to see them bring in more of aspects of the Silmarillion because like we have Wolf Sauron and we have Finrod with the werewolves. So I would be very happy if they kind of were able to bring that into this story somehow mm. at first i wondered change. if they were actually like wild boars or something because they looked more porcine to me than uh -huh. wolf-like it was just very confusing i'm like why call it a wolf g give it give it a different name you know like there's a uh, in in what in uh the the lord of the rings video games they, they couldn't use wargs for some reason so they have these big monstrous animals that they call caragors and it 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 fits, you know, like they look, you know, like they they could be in the Peter Jackson movie. So, like, I, I, I'm not averse to them inventing creatures if they need to. So I was just confused why they just call them just wolves as if they're like normal wolves, because they don't look anything like normal wolves. That's a hard just be it's that the Harfoots are calling them dog. that like, because <laughs> yeah. maybe yeah. they're not that familiar with the encyclopedia of animals or or something. I'm 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 with that. I buy that. <laughs> like the Harfoot's like, ah, it's a wolf. It's a wolf. It's got it's teeth. A, it's got four yeah. legs. It's not a dog. It's gonna it's... eat you. <laughs> <laughs> like who who cares what you call it? It's a wolf. Just right. run away. <laughs> um, and but then we get this really cool scene with uh, with Meteor Man, and he fends off like he picks one of the wolves up and just chucks it bodily away from the the group of uh the Harfoots that he's defending, and then he slams his hand on the ground and just casts this sort of spell i don't know and it throws all of them back and scares them enough that they that they run away and um and in the process i think this is the really cool thing and this is what i want to see more of 
uh, the magic has a cost. And so they've mentioned that already in this series that, you know, the creating, creating something has a cost. And in this case, it's no different. There's a cost to his using the magic. So we saw with the fireflies, we see now with his hand, when he, when he hits it into the ground, it's all bruised. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. I almost, so you say bruised, but I almost wonder if it was maybe almost burned in a way, which Mm. I could be wrong, but I believe the uh, dweller, when you see her bending over the meteor man's uh, pit or crater, her hand, her fingers have some, I think blackness on them too. I I'd have to go back and look again, but yeah, they do. Maybe it's a sign that they're, you know, magic users of some sort. Okay. Yeah. So maybe they're, you know, they're, they're maybe some kind of Maiar or, you know, or dark version of Astari or something like that. Some kind of twisted, you know, Astari or something. Good. So, um, then we go to the blade training scene, which I thought what I thought was really fun. I liked that (laughs) scene. I saw some people complaining about it. Oh, it's a trope. And I'm like, lighten up. It it was fun. I really liked it. I, I, anybody, I, I think there's, if there's one thing you cannot pin, on this Galadriel, it's being a Mary Sue because that's that's what you often get with a female lead character. There's the complaint that she's a Mary Sue. She's good at everything. La, 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 la. This Galadriel <laughs> is not good at much, but she's really good at fighting. <laughs> yeah, I'm one of those people who thought this scene was really goofy. So I'm uh, once again very happy to know that you guys enjoyed it because I can. Oh, just... it was goofy, but I, I liked just... it anyway. <laughs> I am so over this. Oh no, these people don't know how to use their swords. Oh, this expert has to come in and teach them. And after 30 seconds, now everyone is is well trained and and like every you know like if if one of them were to miss with their swords like. Galadriel would have oh, got her gosh. head chopped off. Yeah. Or like, <laughs> like, what are you going to... It's just... Fighting with me, life swords. Yeah, no. It's just it, the whole thing feels silly, and I'm not into it, but I'm very happy for everyone who is. I, I like this kind of stuff. Now, I will say, I would love it if movies would stop having people train with live blades. It's Yes, yeah. Nobody in the history of ever has ever done that. Just no. It's just extremely high stakes there. Like, what... <laughs> yeah. If all of your soldiers are getting injured. Yeah. Well, and even if it's not high stakes, it's bad practice because if your sword is live, you're sitting there, you're nicking your sword the whole time. You're purposefully parrying someone else's blade. You know, it's like you're, you're ruining the blade and yeah, you have to go back and sharpen it afterwards, but that it causes the blade to be ruined. You only ever drew a sword to actually like stab somebody. That was your intention was to, to murder somebody with that blade when you pulled it out. Other than that, they would use, you know, sometimes they would use hardened weapons, but not the actual weapon that you were going to use. And it would have been very obviously a training blade or they would have used wooden weapons. Wooden yeah, they never heard of Kendo, I guess. <laughs> no, right? like, that's, that's how you train. It's just what everybody that, you know, that's everything in the history of ever. That's what they did. Well, Numenor is special. I, yeah, well, <laughs> so Caitlin, I'm, I'm 100 percent with I you. First... I, I like the scene, but I did think it was very goofy, too. <laughs> I'm glad they didn't. I, I thought for a second they were going this way, that they were going to have uh, Halburn come in and say, I, you know, give me a turn. And he was going to going to nick her. And now he's in. Uh, now he's a, a lieutenant on a soldier sh- or on a, a <laughs> ship. So, <laughs> so I'm, <laughs> I'm glad they didn't go that way. I'm, I'm glad they. I also thought they were going to have a sealed door jump in like, mm-hmm. I'm not even yeah. on the sea guard, mm-hmm. but let me let me give it a try, too. And, and, and that was his way of his getting place. back on the ship. Yeah, so yeah, they definitely avoided back. these two really cringy moments, so that's good. 
at least there's that <laughs> yes could have been worse well and i but i do i do like the fact that like with no prompting whatsoever ellen Dill's like yeah she's going to be able to hold her own against all of them right <laughs> and then gives them the incentive of you get a promotion if you can actually if you can touch her with your blade <laughs> well didn't he say it was it was well, like the first blood <laughs> Yeah, it was, yeah. It was the first one of you who can touch her. That's it. He hasn't seen her well, with the sword make... before. No, he hasn't. <laughs> like, no indication yeah, that she was going to be able to do this. Yeah, it would make sense, though, for him because he's a he's an elf friend. So he would have had grown up hearing legends of the prowess of elves and elf you know, the martial prowess. And and whereas most Numenorians who are anti-elf would have heard, they, they would have said, oh, that's exaggeration. Elves are you know they're just like us we can kill them just as easily or whatever so it that's that's at least my head canon is that he just from his having the positive view of the elves and actually knowing the history versus the um you know the the twisted version that most of Nomenor has probably gotten that he he knew that she was fi- she would be fine so yeah for sure i mean it it worked out in the end yeah <laughs> but yeah it was it was uh, it, it's fun. It's there to be a fun scene. That's the the intention of it was to be goofy and fun and show us that, you know, Galadriel can hold her own just fine. Yeah, And I feel like a lot of the times we can f- forget how lighthearted Tolkien can be. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if you just open up the Lord of the Rings, like almost any chapter, you're going to have kind of like a, a nice lighthearted moment, especially when it comes to hobbits and elves, too. So it's it's always good when they throw stuff like this in. It's not all super serious all the time. Right. But we are framing this against uh, two sort of super serious scenes where we get uh, Ferzon and his son Kemen speaking and Ferzon reveals his intention uh, with uh, agreeing to this whole process of going to war. And that, you know, I, I love the way they frame this, too, though, because they frame it here by saying it's all about swimming against the tide. Right. That's his kind of his whole uh, framing of, the, of this the statement. You know, you're, you're trying to swim against the tide. You don't understand it. You might be carried out by the tide. You need to know how to do the two things. And then Kemen is and he's telling him, look, wouldn't it be great to have a man that owes us? And then what ends up happening is later on, Kemen is brought out of the water by Isildur, his life saved. Oh, and now man. he owes something to someone and so he completely like i love the way that was framed that was really good writing and i liked the way that that pulled together i like that it it it's sort of tied into something i said last week which is that we're gonna see the beginnings of numenor's colonial adventure in middle earth mm-hmm. when he's like oh we're gonna get oars we're gonna get lumber we're gonna get land we're gonna get all this mm-hmm. stuff and i'm like oh boy i'm like yeah that now you can see kind of where it's like he's going to run into problems with Sauron because they both can't be Lord of the earth. You know, they, right. they both want it, want that top spot of like ruling middle earth and there can only be one. Yeah. Yep. I'm excited and- to see how they're going to do this. I'm, I'm glad it finally seems like it's starting to happen. It's interesting that it's, it's kind of like the new Minorians are coming as conquerors and saviors at the same time. Whereas in the books mm-hmm. it happens in different times, but you can really see the time compression at work here. But I mm. thought Farazone was just incredible. Like for a second there, I thought he was going to like 
kill Kevin when yeah. he, the way he looked at him, I was like, oh, <laughs> I know this guy's your dad, but you are still in danger. <laughs> well, and, and he has all the servants leave. He like just glances yeah. around and he just everybody leaves the room. Gone, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's, got a, he's a very, he's got a very mafia boss kind of style. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they did mention that, that Farazan and Muriel are cousins, which I thought right. they were going to paper over, but they didn't. No, they're leaving it in. And we get the warning from um, Tar Palantir here that uh, he said, tells Muriel not to go because the only thing that awaits her in Middle Earth is uh, darkness. So that's a. Uh, we're seeing more of the prophecy. I like I like the way they play with prophecy in this one. Well, mm-hmm. too. Uh, we have this, the scene where Meteor Man heals himself at the pool with ice, which was interesting to me. I thought that was a strange turn of things. Yeah, it it reminded me of playing like Kingdom Hearts or something. I'm like, oh, so he he <laughs> he cast Firaga and Cura at the same time. I'm like, OK, <laughs> well, I think, yeah, it's setting it up like another red herring where like in you know, like going back to the first episode where Galadriel's where they're her soldiers are going into the ice fortress. She's saying it's, you know, there's no hint of warmth because it's so evil. So it's like, you know, I think the show is is very much trying to say scream at us. Look, this is very similar. This is the same thing. And right. So it's, they're definitely throwing the red herrings at us. Uh, and I, I still don't think he is. A, he is Sauron or Sauron. I, I don't I yeah. don't think that. At no. All, yeah. I, I, I'm they're like trying to fool us, I guess. But, and maybe if you haven't yeah. really read. Yeah, I think yeah. So I did see something interesting that uh, I I can't remember the name of the Maiar, but there was someone pointed out there was a Maiar who was the Maiar who's the Moon Spirit basically, and they were kind of speculating mm-hmm. that um, there's some similar and there's not much I I can't remember the name of the it's like Huion or something Tilion, yeah something like that I'd have to yeah the you one who guides the Moon. Yeah, I think mm. so. And they were just yeah, saying that there's some similarities. Mm, okay. I feel like he, I, I feel like isn't he still up there guiding the moon? So would the moon fall yeah, down that's... if he wasn't? <laughs> right. I don't know how that would work. We haven't no, seen I don't know. Much. Yeah, it's just something I, I saw that was. <laughs> uh, yeah, while we weren't watching, the moon fell down. <laughs> just it's gone. <laughs> it's... That's really Some, uh, interesting. Majora's Mask action. <laughs> <laughs> no, see this. So, did, 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 this is where Bilbo's "Man in the Moon" song comes from. The man uh, in the moon came down. You know, like <laughs> there you I go. heard that people were were speculating about if, <laughs> if this is the man in the moon, and this is where the rhyme comes from. Could be. I they Seems... they've got a lot to play with. I I'm really and and they've done a good job of keeping their hands very close to their chest on all of it. So that's. That's good. So we get the, the next couple of scenes are back to um, uh, Elrond's story. And I, I have to say, Gilgalad is a jerk. I, just, <laughs> like, <laughs> he is, uh, I mean, just total like like there is nothing about this scene that makes me think, yeah, that was that's the guy that I want to be the king of the elves. Right. Like he's awful. And so the only redeeming part of this whole series of scenes is Durin getting the, the table and the position he puts <laughs> yes. them in to, to get the table is it's just with a straight face so well done 
I loved I love that scene. And that really, to me, it tells you everything you need to know about Durin, really. <laughs> Dwarves know how to get what they want. That's, you know? yep. <laughs> I also love that he's doing it for his like wife. Like, yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> he's such a wife guy. Disa mm-hmm. said she wanted a table. <laughs> Although I thought maybe Gilgalad was just kind of, I'm like, oh, okay, that's kind of standard Noldor. He's like being mm-hmm. insulting and high-handed, but uh, it's just off-putting kind of, because I'm like, we're, we're supposed to be, by the end of this show, hopefully, we're supposed to be rooting for this guy, because like there's a mm-hmm. lament named in this guy's honor, right? So like, you know, you know, Gilgalad was an elven king and all that stuff, and so I'm like, I'm not very sympathetic to this guy, so hopefully we see a bit of character growth in him over the course of this series. Yeah, I'm I'm hoping that I, I think I'm trying to reframe the elves and I'm trying to think about them in the way that you would think about like a human trying to be diplomatic with animals that they consider pets. Right. And. You know, because that's the only way I can frame this, because because there's a complete lack of empathy and um, consideration amongst all the else, except for perhaps Elrond and his friendship with um, Durin. And even then, you know, he's like been absent from the guy's life for years and still wants to call him a friend, which I yeah, I get that. But, you know, like that's the only way you can think about it is like, okay, we've got these people who are going to be around for another hundred years, maybe, and I'm going to be around for another few thousand and I'm trying to make a deal with them. It's like, I I don't have enough time to wait on their timeline because they're going to die before I can get any of this stuff done. And that that's like the only way I can think of the elves because it's because they seem like they're rushing everything, but at the same time, like don't care about actually learning anything about the people that they're trying to make diplomatic solutions with <laughs> so we get this interesting scene with the um the roots of his lager where he's talking about the, the misty mountains the, the roots of the misty mountains and i don't know about you guys but i love this story in the in the sense of the way you write about prophecy and not knowing how a prophecy is going to be fulfilled because if you just take the the elf character in this and replace it with uh, Gandalf, you have the exact same legend where they have this epic battle trying to defend the root of uh, of of the greatness, the seed, the growing uh, seed of the next generation and lightning strikes. They're cast down to the bottom of the earth and then one rises with the light of the Silmaril back to life and to guide the, the end of the age. And so the two are like the same legend and they even call uh, Gandalf by several names that are very much like Mithril, right? Where they're very much like um, uh, the glowing that they have this kind of inner light sense to them. Oh, when Mithrandir. They arrive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mithrandir. Yeah. And it's, and it's very similar to the concepts that are going on. So I was struck by that, like listening to that prophecy, I was like, maybe they've got it wrong. Maybe they don't, you know, maybe they're, this whole like metachlorian version of uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I was calling it mithrochlorians. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's like it's like this. Uh, you know, I I don't know uh, what's yeah. what's the uh, the classic trope. Uh, yeah, the it's the um, it's not the Maltese Falcon. There's like another thing that you call it the the thing that everybody wants, and it's not it's really unattainable. The MacGuffin. Monkeys. The MacGuffin. Monkeys that's it. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's a MacGuffin. No, it's, a, yes. okay. it's like it's like this weird MacGuffin that they're looking for. And I don't know. I don't really buy how this is going to work. Like, even if they get their hands on a whole bunch of Mithril, what are they going to do with it? Yeah, the whole thing to me was very upsetting and baffling. Just like from looking at it from Tolkien, it doesn't make any sense. And then mm-hmm. looking at it in like, even if you try and separate it as its own thing, it still doesn't make sense to me. Um, I've been mad about it for like four days now. Ah. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to be calm and to tell myself everything's going to be okay. And they're going to, you know, resolve this all and it'll make total sense in the next three episodes. But it's just, I feel like this is the biggest deviation that they've made so far that it's very hard to, uh, go along with even though i've been i've been talking to people about it, i've been listening to podcasts i've been like please make this make sense but it just still it just irks me i don't know okay i've i have a crazy theory or i think that this whole incident with this story about the the roots of hithyglier and then this idea that like the the elves are somehow dying off with this blight and they need the mithril to cure them I'm I started to suspect on my second watch through that this whole thing is proof that Sauron is already at work among mm. the elves. I, I don't think we can trust any of this stuff. Mm. I think that all of this may be misdirection. That's that. That's just what my gut is telling me. I mean, Elrond calls the, the story. He, he he almost kind of directs us into thinking that we shouldn't trust it because he says it's a dubious legend of like, you know, that most consider apocryphal. And so mm-hmm. that kind of clued me. in. I'm like, OK, we don't need to take this literally. And this whole idea that they need to be mining all of this mithril and doing all this stuff. I'm like, well, I think Gandalf mentions once that Sauron really covets mithril. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, mm-hmm. I wonder if Sauron is already at work, we haven't seen him yet. Nobody's mentioned him, but that he's manipulating Gilgalad and uh, Celebrimbor to be doing this stuff. And somehow it will all work out for his benefit. I don't know if I'm on the right track here, but that's that's kind of how I rationalized all of this. I. I agree. I think that's <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's where they're going. But then the fact that Elrond already knew the myth, it it kind of made it out to seem like this is something you learned as a child. And like, oh, every every elven person knows this old tale. So that is weird to me because it's obviously not true. Like we know what happened to the Silmarils. None of them are in a tree. Yet why would there be this myth that's been kind of passed down from who knows when that everyone is familiar with like that it's kind of where they lost me with the whole yeah this is sauron excuse like i just still it's it's just hard for me to get past it it's definitely the most controversial aspect of the episode i did like the i did like the legend though not necessarily where they went with it and that they need them that they need it to you know saturate themselves but i did like that they had a legend or an explanation of where Mithril came from, because a lot of the Silmarillion, as we know, is it's kind of a le- it's it's a collection of legends kind of explaining right. the world, because Tolkien, first and foremost, besides being a, a linguist, was um, steeped in mythology and steeped in 
in um, fairy stories. So I think it, I, I just like the, you know, even if hopefully we, you know, they don't go too far into this where they keep talking about how if they don't get mithril, they'll fade away. But I did at least like the legend of it. Yeah. yeah I, I thought the legend was really, was really cool. cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that 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 was cool. I was a little bit disappointed that the that I wanted the Balrog to be more different from the Peter Jackson one. Mm. And I thought it still looked kind of too similar. I'm like, from the way the Balrog's described in the book, you could have some really like, like unsettling and like eerie imagery. But I felt they, they, they just kind of, they, they wanted people to recognize the Balrog right away. Yeah. So they went mm-hmm. with the more Peter Jackson kind of looking monster. It seems like this show is really meant for fans of Peter Jackson. Yes. <laughs> Almost more than fans of Tolkien books. Like there are, are so many callbacks where it's a, a line that's almost verbatim from Peter Jackson's movies, but we don't get a lot of lines straight from the books, mm-hmm. which is weird to me, but it's also visually similar. Like we have, um, you know, what we, who we think, who, what we think is Narsil looks mm-hmm. just like it does in the other movies. And then the Balrogs look very similar. So it's, it's like for fans of Peter Jackson, you're going to love the rings of power. I agree. And I will get to in a moment one one area where I think they really fell short on the writing uh, as it compares to Tolkien. And um, I'll 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 bring that up. But, uh, you know, we, we talk I think the other one we have to deal with here is Isildur. Um, man, he's a weasel like he's <laughs> just it's hard to like him because he's so ingratiating and very obviously using his friends like i don't know i don't even know why these guys like him you know they're like <laughs> like they know they knew what he was gonna do they knew he was gonna come back and apologize and try and get on the boat he doesn't even apologize <laughs> no yeah and then when when you know he's he, he him and kemen are, are telling their story my brother and i were like Oh, well, they couldn't have possibly believed that. So they must have just mm-hmm. let Isildur come on the mission because they felt sorry for him. <laughs> yeah. Right. He's such a terrible liar. He's young, though. He's he's like, you know, probably like he's probably like 20 ish or something. Yeah. 18, 19. Somewhere yeah. Like. yeah. Well, and on the boat, then don't they say he's not he's not a sailor, per se. He's oh, yeah. Assigned to the cavalry and i mean i know they were joking they were you know playing it for comedy that he was going to be the you know scooping up the horse droppings but that is the and it is interesting that in this talented sailor that they're potentially saying you're not going to be in command of any any sailing you're just going to be you're a grunt or you're going to be you know not even involved in the sailing of the ship you're going to be mm-hmm. dealing with the horses um which on the on a long boat ride that's probably not going to be a, a fun job but yep. <laughs> He totally deserved it, though, after everything he's done. Like, he does, he, yeah. Even, even to get a spot on the boat, he didn't necessarily deserve that. So I was glad that they at least gave him, like, we all wanted him on the boat because we want his story to continue. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't want him to, you know, it almost felt like maybe he was blackmailing Kemen. Like, I saw right. you about to burn yeah. down the boat, so get me a spot on this boat kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is possible. But like I said, you know, Kemen owes yeah, him. It's, so it's Kemen's worth versus Isildur's word. And yeah, that's true. 
All right, so so we come come back to the scene where Kalimbrabor uh, has um, tested the mithril, and he has a discussion with Elrond, and this is this is one that really bothered me, and it bothered me as we were as we were watching it because not only are are the king and the whole the whole group asking Elrond to betray another of the of his friends, but then uh, he tells the story of. Uh, of Elrond's father. And he says that Arendil had said that he needed to go to the Valinor to, to speak with them. And when his wife asked him, why must it be him? He responded and they missed the Tolkien response here because the, the Tolkien response would have been very different than what he says, which is, well, I'm the only one that can do it. That's the response that he gives essentially. And that's not, that's not a Tolkien thing to say, right? That's, that, that's, I'm the, I'm the one skilled enough to do this. I'm the one to, to take it. That's not how it works. What they, what he should have said is, if not me, then who? Right. And that's, it would have made so, it would have fit so much more better with the lore of who that character is, of who all of these characters are. And it would have fit with that moment, like at Elrond's council, when, everybody's like staring at the ring and trying to figure out who's going to take it to Mordor and who stands up, but you know, the Hobbit and says, I'll do it. <laughs> I think Arendel even says something about how it's his fate mm-hmm. to, to do this. And when the show is trying to go so hard towards this idea of fate to miss an opportunity like that, to bring in yeah. fate was just like, why? yeah just kind of another letdown i don't know i I feel like i'm being so negative i really like the show no no yeah i I don't think you're being negative at all yeah i think this was just one of those moments where i was like ah that's not yeah (laughs) i missed it it was also so manipulative too like you like Mm -hmm. when he did that i was like man this Celebrimbor, like he is a jerk he's he's playing off of every one of elrond's weaknesses to try Mm -hmm. and get him to do and he's being so manipulative and like that's his character i think so he's doing a good job of acting there but it, it really makes you just so irritated right well, and if, them, if we think that sauron is they're manipulating kelebrimbor it's just kind of a trickle-down effect of mm-hmm. kelebrimbor is sauron saying we need this uh or anatar whatever he, role he's playing is saying we need you need this mithril you need this you need this and so Kelebrimbor mm-hmm. is in you know he's been swayed a little bit and is trickling that down to elrond and elrond is begrudgingly trickling it down to durin and i and i mean everybody's getting played right i think that's kind of how how it goes so we finally see uh halbrin step into his role as king and we get this very clear picture of him as the anti-Aragorn, right? <laughs> He's got, he looks <laughs> yeah. like spitting image of Aragorn on the, on the horse riding through town. And, and I also, I also like in the yeah, scene this... that we finally get, a, a, we get a sense of Galadriel and what, what her problem is. And this is something that my wife and I are still in discussions about, <laughs> like whether or not this kind of redeems her where it's, she really is this ball of just, fight like that's what she wants to do that's what she's built on right now and my wife's like it doesn't make any sense because it doesn't fit the whole character that we know Galadriel to be and I'm like well maybe that's the whole point is that 
you know, an elf lives for so long that they are very filled with a passion and it lasts for a very long time for them. And so something big has to happen to kind of knock her out of it. And that's what we're going to see over the course of the series. Jeff, you were going to say something. Oh, I was. So we were talking about how this is kind of a lot of fan service or a lot of callbacks to the Lord of the Rings films and the scene where they were traveling on horseback through the streets that definitely reminded me of um, the scene in return. And, and I'm, I'm, I have seen, I will disclaim, I've seen the films more than I've read the books. I do love both. And I, but the films, I, I just, I saw them, you know, when I was in high school and I've watched them um, probably almost every year. And I, I just, I really enjoy them, even though they're not, you know, it's not a perfect adaptation, but this scene was definitely reminiscent of the scene in return of the King where Faramir and they're going to retake um, Osgiliath uh, kind of riding through the streets, the people all turning out, except this was kind of, this was turned on its head. It was, it's not a mournful type of thing. It's a joyous thing. They're, we're celebrating these people and we're, we're we're all happy and joyful. Um, So Mm -hmm. I just was pointing that out since we were talking about that earlier, but. And then the last couple of things that we get tie-ups tie on are uh, we see Waldrick's group and uh, we hear a little bit more from the Bronwyn and Arendir thing where we, we learn about the statue of the sacrifice with the sword. And then we also see Waldrick and his group going to uh, Adar and what that ends up being, that there has to be uh, there has to be a sacrifice, a blood sacrifice to make the pact. <laughs> I love when, like, he... He kind of figures out that 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 Adar is not Sauron, and he's like, "I'll serve you then, whoever you are." That that made me laugh. (laughs) So I thought this was interesting because at first I was like, "Oh, okay, so he's not Sauron." But then upon thinking about it more, like, so Sauron doesn't like to be called Sauron because it's Mm -hmm. like a mean name, means like stinky guy, like filthy, dirty, stinky man, and so. Is he upset because he's not Sauron or is he upset because Waldrig just called him, you know, a stinky guy or whatever that. So now I'm like back to is he Sauron? And I still don't think he is. But that like caused me to pause for a moment. Um, Just like his reaction. You're like, is he not? I don't know. Or he's just like, you know, you called you called our master the name he's not supposed to be called. Yeah, so. that too. Yep. I think the name Sauron, yeah, especially because the name that he's used to going by is something that's so like endearing. And so even just hearing the name Sauron, if it's it could be his master, yeah, that he doesn't like to to hear or it could be something that people call him that he doesn't like. Or it could be that he hates Sauron because he's his rival or like it just Mm. I love it because it added so much more. Um, where I was immediately like, oh, it's not Sauron to then straight back to wait, is he Sauron? Yep. And then um, we get the uh, the orcs all marching off, uh, chanting Nampat, which there's just so much debate about what this word means, <laughs> I, which I love. That's very Tolkien. <laughs> Like words mean things, so they then it doesn't seem like they just picked it randomly. They've used it a few times now, and it sounds like we're going to get more indication of what it might mean as we go on. And then I think my favorite scene in the whole uh, episode is the scene between Elrond and Durin that we get towards the end here, where uh, 
Durin reveals that he he was joking, and it and it is it's he just wanted a table for Disa and saw an opportunity <laughs> to take it. <laughs> and I love how much Aule is mentioned throughout this episode. There's a lot of uh, mentions of it, and the last one here is just the by Aule's beard. But you know there is a lot of talk of Aule over the course of uh, the interactions that people are having with Durin. And then I think my favorite part of this one is the relationship that these two have and hearkening back to the door to the minds of Moria that's uh, cast with Mithril, right? It's like this, this uh, version of Mithril that the, that they can cast into the, into these um, sigils on the doors and things and how simple it would have been for uh, Gilgalad just to have told Elrond what they were thinking and for him to have gone to Durin and just asked about it. Because that's kind of where they get to at the end. Like there was all of this mess and all he really had to do was just say, hey, we're having this problem. We think there might be a solution here. Can we work on on fine? On, are you willing to help us? And Duran's like, yeah, but I love how he makes him say, you know, who's who's whose hands are it's the fate of the elves. In? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a cute scene. I like their friendship a lot. Mm-hmm. I love how Elrond's like, you need to tell Disa the table's a gift from me. That was brilliant. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And he was <laughs> like, my only well, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think it's it's so great to see the simplicity of their friendship and that that becomes the like the moniker for Moria, right? For the for the door is like speak, friend, and enter. And what did mm-hmm. you have to do? Just speak the word friend. Literally, that's it. That's how easy this riddle is. I was so surprised that Duran wasn't more mad about it. I really, especially after we saw how angry he got at his father the last episode, it felt a little bit like, wait, what? You're not super, super mad right now? Like, um, maybe their friendship is just so strong. Um, hmm. Which is even better. <laughs> and it just I makes guess, me yeah. dislike Gilgalad so much more. Like, ah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> What a jerk. I hope we get like some good scenes with Gil Gallad soon because I before the show started, I thought that I was like, this guy is going to be my favorite. And he is the character <laughs> who I'm most annoyed with most of the time. Yeah, him and Galadriel between the two of them. It's like they're, they're, they have no diplomatic bone in their body. Either of them. Maybe, yeah, we need a little <laughs> kind of likability here. <laughs> Again, I think leaning more leaning more into Peter Jackson's elves than Tolkien's elves. That yes. kind of high level of arrogance, you know, like <laughs> very much so. I think that's why everyone likes Arondir so much, because he's he's so elvish, but mm-hmm. he's also so humble. And like he I don't know, he's willing to put himself on the line for for men. And um, I don't really see any of the other elves doing that too much. I like the point that he makes, right, where it's like in all in all of the time that I spent uh, listening to the whispers and looking at the knives, I learned to appreciate the mouths that were speaking them and the hands that were holding them. Mm-hmm. That's like that's a really good way to to think about it. Yeah, I really like him. I think he's probably one of my favorite characters. Yeah, it's like he has side of what the elves relationship could be to men and could be to the rest of Middle Earth where and, and Elrond's kind of there, too. Because eventually we know, obviously know his his son-in-law will be is a man and his daughter will become become man in the sense of becoming human. So but all the other elves are seem very much, um, you know, we're better than than everyone else. And at least the ones we've the, the ones we've seen. Now, I'm sure there's some that are, you know, you're good elf as well. But 
yeah, it's nice to see a Rondir kind of being a being a, a friend, being a so we kind of get that juxtaposition with the speak friend and enter. He's being the friend. Right. So. Very cool. Any final thoughts? Anything we missed talking about? Nothing we missed, but I, I did want to bring up just a little bit of speculation. I th- so I, I think we're in the course of this, the rest of the season, and or, and as we go along, we're going to see Hobron and his soldier kind of become best friends, which I, oh. I I think my I I think I agree that Hobron is the king uh, is the king of the Oathbreakers, and we know that the king of the Oathbreakers swore an oath to a Sildor. So mm. I think we're kind of going to get their friendship building up and building up and then something's going to happen and we're just going to see, you know, we're, we're going to, it's just going to be an all around tragedy of, oh. <laughs> of the oath breaking and then Isildur's yeah. and Isildur. fall. It's just going to be, it's going to be, it's going to be a lot of, a lot of tragedy. So I, mean, I, I think really they're kind cool of going to set up that they're kind of going to become, cause I, cause they're kind of both outsiders at this point on the ship. Mm-hmm. Uh, Isildur's he's, he's the son of the son of the boss, but, He's also alienated his friends and that and then everyone else is probably going to kind of treat him as other as, you know, you're 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 not one of the crew. You're here because of your dad. And so he and Halbrand will kind of and Halbrand's kind of an outsider. So I think we're going to kind of see them develop a develop uh, into a friendship. I like that, that was idea. the only thing I had to say. Yeah, I bet they're probably going to be hanging out like in the stables or something. That would be kind of cool. Yeah. I, I, it's going to be kind of a long boat ride like we talked about. Um, so I bet we'll get to see a lot of characters interacting and becoming closer and, and seeing friendships develop. That would be really cool. Yeah. Cause I don't think he's going to hang out with Galadriel quite as much. <laughs> <laughs> better not. Yeah, and I just love the scene of the ships sailing out of Numenor. Just mm-hmm. beautiful, beautifully shot. Um, the music just, oh, it was great. That's it from us. We'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Middle Earth, including Kimberly W., Frank R., Mary Jean C., Toby T., and Lynn F. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Middle Earth and all the shows here at StarQuest. You can join them at sqpn.com slash give. We'd love to hear what you think of the Rings of Power uh, as as you can see, we are reading the uh, the comments that we're getting. You can either comment on YouTube. Uh, that's where we're getting a lot of the comments. Or you can join us on our Facebook page or on Twitter. Or you can email us directly uh, middleearth at sqpn.com. We also have a Discord channel. Uh, lots of good activity going on there. Uh, lots of really interesting in-depth discussions especially right after the show comes out if you are we, we like to keep we have two channels for middle earth we have one that's the middle earth channel and one that's the middle earth spoilers channel so stay out of the spoilers channel if you don't if you haven't watched this week's episode yet because it you will spoil things for yourself if you go in there too soon <laughs> we'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the sixth episode uh until then uh caitlin thank you for joining me for the secrets of middle earth Thanks for having me. And Jeff, thank you as well. Thank you, Thomas. And Thomas Salerno, it was great having you. Thanks so much. And once again, I'm Thomas Enherho. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Middle Earth on StarQuest. Here's another show on the StarQuest Network you're sure to enjoy. The Catholics of Oz. Find it wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash Oz.